Hello, welcome to Tone Deaf. This is your host, Tambor Beaker. Ryan. Zach. And we have a guest today, Mr. Andy Fredrickson. Hey, what's up? I'm a musician and I'm also a student here at Washburn. Andy, what would you say is the genre of your music typically? Yeah, uh, genres are kind of tough. My taste is fairly eclectic and my writing tends to reflect that. I'd say in broad strokes, sort of like modern prog rock, as, <laughs> as vague as that seems. Yeah, anything that sort of is weird and emotionally engaging, I like. So that's the music I try to make. Prog rock, I feel like, is just broad enough that I can fall into that. Along with your uh, solo music, you also are in a band, correct? Yep, our name is Not Like Igor. Somewhat similar in sound. I'd say a little on the less metal side, to be frank. Like, we still get fairly heavy, you know, distorted guitars and screaming, but the main songwriter in that group, he just has very different influences. And since he's the main songwriter, his stamp is a fair bit different feeling than mine, I'd say. Who all is in your band, Not Like Igor? I play bass, uh, my brother plays the drums, and then our good friend Max Moore is the guitarist and singer. You've worked with Max on some of your solo stuff. It's been three years now. When I did uh, my first solo release, he'd sung on a song, because at that time I was very timid about vocals. You know, I've, I've grown up listening to like death metal, so of course I can do the growly, you know, animalistic stuff, but I was very self-conscious about singing. So when I wrote a song that very clearly shouldn't have been instrumental, I couldn't sing on it, I enlisted him, because he's got a great voice. I can definitely see like the progression of production quality on all of them. Awesome, thanks. Also, your vocals have improved since that first album. I feel like if I don't level up each time, it's not worth doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm constantly on the grind. You know, I always want to be better. So I'm glad to hear somebody thought so. Thanks. <laughs> So as someone who's into Prague, I'm sure this is going to be a great list. Uh, what are some of the bands that have influenced your writing? One of my main influences is a band called Dance Gavin Dance. What I love about them is they're proggy, but in a very subtle way. So like they have a fairly broad fan base, but it's all with music that is rarely in four or, you know, has a really bizarre linear structure, but works out really well. So they're kind of my go-to, even though they're not strictly Prague. Of course, I love bands like the Mars Volta, Tambor's wearing an at the drive-in shirt, so I have to give them a shout out. Protest the Hero is one I really enjoy. They're as if 80s metal survived, got really smart, and dropped the misogynistic stuff. <laughs> so they're a really interesting group and they, they influence my stuff a lot, especially in the guitars, because they're just super intricate, really grand. What I love about Prague is it's very like, I don't want to say fantasy oriented, but it's almost like otherworldly. You know what I'm saying? It, it shoots far and I really enjoy that. So yeah, bands like those, we were talking about Animals as Leaders. They're really cool just crazy rhythmically. Tosin Abasi is a god. Yeah, he is our generation's guitar god. <laughs> if the guitar god status lives on, it's through him, I think. So how does like, the artistic process differ from you making your solo stuff and you being in a band? Can you kind of explain how, how that goes? Sort of the interesting thing about being in a band is you're all kind of making compromises to a certain extent. Like I am obviously being in a band with my brother, super close with him. Max, our guitarist, he feels like a brother because we've spent so much time together. But there's still sort of that element of like, you know, it's impossible to truly share one holistic creative goal. Like we all like similar stuff and we play off each other really well. But there is still that element of compromise, which I enjoy. You know, oftentimes that makes something more interesting. Being in a solo project, you are responsible for literally everything. So that's sort of the key dynamic that's the difference. I love them both for different reasons. Like I said, in a band, those compromises can often surprise you in pleasant ways, but you lose that sort of, I don't want to say narcissistic level of control, but like that just complete ownership. So there tends to be more pressure on the solo aspect? 
Yeah, a different sort of pressure because I also record the band. So in that sense, I have another hand in making it. So there's that pressure of wanting to do justice to my <laughs> to my brothers. But yeah, when, when it's myself, it's the pressure of, am I good enough? <laughs> when it's with the band, it's more like, can I do this, this job well for the people who I care about with the song that I care about? You know what I'm saying? So your solo stuff has kind of a sci-fi bent to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe not so much in directly in its sound, but certainly thematically. Uh, I mean, I do like to throw in silly little samples of some movie I've just watched, just a little layer here and there. Many of my favorite sci-fi authors have had a big hand in influencing my worldview, and then, of course, that translates to the music. So I've been really into this English guy named China Mieville recently. Probably his most famous book is Perdido Street Station, but my favorite of his is The Scar. Thematically, he's very much about examining systems of power, or sort of unifying and sci-fi authors who have turned me on to certain ideologies or influenced my worldview in some way, I, I want to pay that back somehow through my own music. When those authors played such a role in my life, you, you can't help but want to make art similar to theirs in, in some sense. What do you say the local music scene is like? Uh, it's in a bit of a bizarre state because there are so many talented people, but the infrastructure is somewhat lacking. Uh, you know, we've got the Booby Trap, which is a great dive bar, but it's one small venue in a sea of talented people. So we're at this bizarre crossroads of like feeling like underdogs in the shadow of bigger scenes, but having a lot of people who are talented, yet somehow it never seems to coalesce. I don't think I can say specifically why that is. I think it's fairly complex. All I know is I want to change it. I don't know if the step is just trying to play more shows just on our own terms with things like house shows or just like on campus events. It's bizarre that we have a great culture of artists, but I have a hard time, you know, unifying. Well, it's a very disjointed scene. There's a lot of people doing very different things as opposed to, you know, a lot of music scenes where there's some aesthetic or ideological or just stylistic similarities that all they kind of just naturally bound together. Uh, we don't really have that here. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And with all the musicians that are around here, it doesn't really seem like a lot of people are actually working together. Everyone's very supportive of each other here. Like everyone's like, oh, you're in a band, awesome. Like, hey, you know, we'll check out your music, all that stuff. But no one's really making much of an effort to collaborate collaborate or actually get together and make something happen. I was having a little bit of difficulty sleeping the other night, and so I decided that I would just get on Facebook and add just a bunch of random people who were in bands. Throughout the day, I ended up getting like 60 new friends on Facebook. Now the thing is, how do I go about talking to every single one of them about their music and maybe even being on this podcast? Because there's so many people and I don't even remember half the people that I added. They're local music and we need to get them more out there. Are there any local bands that you sort of gravitate to? In Topeka, there is a band called Oceanside Hotels. It's mainly uh, the Ludwig family. Jesse Ludwig was in a band with my brother in high school, so those guys are crazily talented. It maybe doesn't show their technical skill a whole lot in their current band, but they are, like, insane. <laughs> They're, like, pro-tier shredders, but obviously very versatile because Oceanside Hotels is just a rock band, for want of a better term. So those guys are really cool. You know, it's a shame. I honestly couldn't point to a whole lot of, like, Topeka bands. Like, there's Kangaroo Ali. Yeah, there's really not a lot of, like, bands. Topeka bands that are out there. There's like, a there's lot of Topeka musicians. Exactly. That's kind of what I was getting at earlier. I mean, there's plenty of just kind of scattered bands around. I'm not even sure, like, what it would take to, like, build a scene up to where you have a lot more shows, you have a lot more, as you said, infrastructure. I wouldn't even know what that would take, really. 
I think that what would go really well is to set up some sort of music festival or it's kind of open mic where anyone who wants to get out there and perform just have like a local music scene festival. That would be amazing. I uh, believe I saw one of my friends post on Facebook about where would a good location be for a outdoor music festival in Topeka and I'm thinking that's exactly what I'm wanting to know. It's just the whole thing about when and where and how to go about it. It's tough. I think it needs to be a combination of grassroots stuff, getting people together, bare bones, yeah. like even if it's a living room or a garage, whatever. Yeah, like a house. If, I mean, if you didn't have like a huge crowd of people coming out to check out, I mean, a gathering like that could even be just good for the musicians. Yeah, networking. As much as I love house shows, I do think there needs to be a stronger infrastructure in terms of venues. I mean, there's Quentin's and the Booby Trap. Live Music Institute I played at in high school, and you know, it's cool. It's just, it's in that weird sort of middle state of being a place where lessons are given, and then mm -hmm. they've got the little stage, so it's not exactly very cool, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's harder to get people out there, it seems like. The owner is a really nice guy. He's, it's essentially just a matter of calling him. You know, he'll want 50 bucks to yeah. bring the sound guy out, but he's a really nice dude. So that is a good resource, but for some reason it never seems to take off a whole lot. Like you can very much have good shows there, but it's not really gained that venue status. I mm -hmm. think because like I said, it's in that middle ground of like a school and uh, just a place with the stage, you know? The only places I've really found that I've been able to perform at are coffee shops, which is great because I mostly play a lot of acoustic guitar anyway. Mm -hmm. But if I want to start, you know, writing metal, I couldn't play that. Yeah. <laughs> in, at Kara's Cup. <laughs> I mean, well, you could. You just like might poet, not be there that long. It wouldn't be a great idea. <laughs> I think it'd be a good idea. It'd be kind of interesting to see. Just <laughs> dude walks in with a electric guitar and like, oh okay, and just starts shredding <laughs> with an amp, and it's like. Can you please leave, sir? Are you enjoying your cappuccino? <laughs> we just need people that are willing to put the time and organize stuff like this. We got a decent poetry scene here, too. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people out there doing poetry open mics and things like that. And I think we just need people that are dedicated as they are to do it for music. Andy, what do you say some of the most influential albums are to you? It changes all the time as I age. Some of the ones that have definitely stuck with me that I can very much point to and say, like, oftentimes I'm ripping off in my own music, to put, to put it bluntly. <laughs> Include, like, Fortress by that band, Protest the Hero. That, to me, is just a solid, inspiring, you know, just fun, guitar-y album, you know, with just huge, soaring vocals, really intricate rhythms, all the things that sort of tick my boxes. There's an Australian band called Closure in Moscow who had an album called First Temple, and that, to me, is, like, almost a flawless album. The production is unbelievably clear. The songwriting is so engaging. Again, sort of ticks all my boxes, you know, like it's weird, it's catchy, it's emotionally compelling, the production is awesome. And from that Dance Cabin Dance Band I mentioned earlier, they have several that define my musical vocabulary, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Like, if I have a melody in my head, I'm hearing it through the voice of one of their singers. So yeah, from them, there's an album called Downtown Battle Mountain 2. <laughs> they have really ridiculous whimsical names. I love that one. I've got to also mention, even though I now sadly kind of hate the band, uh, A Lot Like Birds had an album in 2011 called Conversation Piece that sort of like re-sparked my love for music. You know, it, it was sort of the album that made me really get serious about songwriting. It's just super heavy and weird and very melodramatic at times, I've come to realize, but in a lot of ways, another album that I feel like I need to aspire to, you know. So what do you think is one of the favorite things about making and creating music? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it is pretty much what I live for. <laughs> you know, it is, uh, it's really the only thing that I've found emotionally fulfilling, <laughs> as nihilistic as that sounds, but I don't view it that way because the feeling I get after completing a song that I'm excited about is just like, unmatched to me. I, my favorite feeling in the world is being excited about something you're creating and music just happens to be the best thing I can create, it seems like. Kind of a dramatic answer, but it's just what I like. <laughs> and it's the only thing I can do, it feels like. And your album covers are awesome. Who does those? I agonize over the art because it's something that I feel like is out of my control. So the latest one was done by a French comic book artist who uh, sadly died a few years ago. So I just, it's just a frame from one of his comic books, I, I think. <laughs> I, I found it on Reddit and I loved it. So I just contacted his estate to see if I could use it. I wish it had a more personal meaning to me other than I just loved how it looked and I felt like it sort of matched my style. In the past I've used pretty much always through Reddit commission styles. In this one, that just immediately spoke to me so much that I felt like I had to use that one specifically. And of course, since the guy was dead, I couldn't commission him. And he was like fairly popular. In the 80s, there was some cartoon series that was like heavy metal or something. South Park did that spoof of it, yes. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he inspired that. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. So he was fairly influential, but his estate said it was okay for me to use that frame. <laughs> so that's lucky. What yeah. his name was again? Oh, his name is like Jean Gerard. I, I I can't speak French, but his uh, tag is like Mobius. Oh yeah. Okay. I know Mobius. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's an incredible artist. He did yeah. a lot of cool stuff. I felt a bit, not like a poser, but <laughs> I had not heard of him prior to my finding this piece. You know, I, I hadn't read any of his comics. I just, I just loved this specific frame. And I used it would it. have been hard to read his comics. They are just about impossible to find wow. today. Dang. He was a pretty underground artist. Very influential. Like, people know about him kind of now, but all his stuff's out of print, and it's really hard to actually find. Like, I have not actually ever even seen a physical copy of anything he's ever made. Jeez. So, yeah, well, his, and I've looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love his style. I've, you know, sort of dug a little deeper into him now that I've <laughs> used his work for mine. Um, but yeah, just super imaginative and colorful and intricate. And I, I like to think I have those qualities in my music. So that's kind of what stuck out to me about it for sure. So how do you think you've grown as an art, as a solo artist from your first project to where you are now? I have actively tried to step away from writing about myself. As I've gotten older, maybe a little less melodramatic, <laughs> I'm 21 now and my first solo project was when I was 18, uh, so I was very much in a transitionary period at that time and a lot of my songs were just, you know, teenage melodrama about whatever was going on in my life. And that's not to say I've totally disavowed personal topics, but as sort of my perception of music has changed and the uh, role I want my music to play has changed, I've sort of taken a more broad thematic approach in terms of lyrics. Instrumentally, I, I'm just always playing. You know, I'm constantly trying to become a better musician. You know, sometimes I don't have the best practice regimen, but if I haven't written a song in a month, I feel like I'm failed. Like, I feel horrible about myself. <laughs> so just, just naturally, I feel like my songwriting has gotten, gotten stronger. Yeah, I'm constantly trying to get weirder, but also more approachable. <laughs> so I, I think I've kind of achieved that throughout the years. Do you want to get into some news? Yeah. I saw the Melvins at the Bottleneck August 13th, and that was a pretty incredible show. They all did a great job. Their bassist was, you know, jumping up around, dancing, just being crazy and weird, and their drummer is a beast. I mean, if you've heard any of their stu studio albums, you know he's a great drummer, but 
he didn't stop through their entire set. It just was constant. And Buzzo, man, Buzzo just came out there with so much intensity. I mean, he came out there and played like he just killed a guy backstage before he came out. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it was like. <laughs> I kind of got to plug the opening act, Spotlights. I had never heard of them. Apparently they released their first LP last year, and they are about to release their next LP in October. And they were really good. It was a two-piece act, a guitarist and a bassist. And they really had this sort of doom metal meets shoegaze kind of sound. Awesome. It really worked. And it's bands like that, which are why I never skip the opening act. Because you never know when you're going to discover something like that. The Melvins even brought them out for their finale. And so it was two basses, two guitarists, <laughs> Dale on drums. It was just this thick wall of sound for like the last 15 minutes. And it was incredible. That sounds awesome. It wasn't the loudest show that I've been to, but it might be the heaviest. <laughs> Apparently, Les Claypool says that on the newest Primus album, they're going to be bringing back Goblin Rock. I'm not exactly certain what that means. <laughs> I don't know what But it's Les is. Claypool. It, it is Les Claypool. I, I don't know. I'm always kind of like at a loss like whenever I hear a genre, like an obscure genre that I haven't heard of, because I'm always kind of like, is this real or have I really just not heard of it? <laughs> Like, I can't tell anymore. <laughs> I mean, I want Goblin Rock to be like a real thing, like a legit music scene. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? That just sounds amazing. I mean, I mean the only thing I can think of is like three inches of blood, Keo, let's kill the orcs or whatever. <laughs> a guar kind of look like goblins. Fair. Uh, yeah, let's people can pretty much do anything. Yeah, he's a mastermind between like the theme songs of two of the weirdest shows on TV. South Park being one of them. And Robot Chicken being the other. I, I think what I love about Primus is that you have one of the most technically proficient bassists in the world and an incredible drummer as well. And they don't take themselves seriously at all. I don't think I can think of any band that has that much technical proficiency in their musicians and is still just that silly. <laughs> I love that, though. I love... Having fun. <laughs> yeah. I always enjoy a good bass line in a song. I think that's what I tend to gravitate towards a lot. I mean, I love good guitar as well, but it's pretty hard to be like a bass player who innovates new sound uh, or just their own kind of style. But like, there's plenty of bass players out there that everyone knows. Like, like Les Claypool, he invented a new style of bass playing. Yeah, it almost seems like if you're in a band like that and you're the bassist, you have almost like this stubborn, like, okay, I've really got to break out of the box attitude. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, bass is so often relegated to just being the support role. Yeah, as, <laughs> as a guitarist, bass is so underrated. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because we have a bass player <laughs> well, in the room I, right now. I barely <laughs> bass. I play bass in a band. I, you know, I'm not a real bassist. It's hard to actually come up with something new. Just like a drummer, it's very hard to just come up with a new drum beat. It's a lot of recycling. At least that's what I've come across. Yeah, to an extent for sure. But There was an interview with John Dolmayan, who's the drummer for System of a Down, and he said that he usually just uses jazz drum beats, which if you go back and listen to it, it's like, yeah, I guess it's not as heavy as I really remember it. Well, isn't that the challenge of any musician is trying to create your own sound, create your own music that hasn't necessarily been heard before? Or is yeah. That, at least that's what I would strive to do. See, I wish that, um, that the music industry nowadays promoted originality instead of trying to uh, just keep pushing out all this corporate garbage. 
because there's a lot of bands that like they're newer bands that they're trying to just break through but because there's something different it's hard for them it's always been like that though and Honestly, if anything, it's easier for weird bands to break out because with the internet, you know, there's no record label keeping the gates, you know, like, oh, well, you're not going to, you don't have mass appeal, so you're not getting in. Nowadays, you can just put your music online and, you know, it's, it's a small chance, but the internet has taken it from no chance to small chance. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of, you know, these weirder, more innovative artists. Yeah. I think the the new game is making yourself stand out exactly because everyone can do it. You know, you have to be that much better now. I th I think it is a net positive in that sense because the internet has enabled anybody to make music. Anyone can put it on the internet. It's just getting it out there. Like you have to rely on the people to share it and get your music out there because there's no one corporate that's going to do it for you. You have to do the hard work yourself. Well, and I mean, I think like with the internet and everything that we're talking about, like today would be the best time to be an independent artist because you can get the exposure with the internet. You can directly correspond with your fans. And at least I know in, in hip hop, it's a lot easier to get a access to the underground scene or the artists that aren't necessarily mainstream than you'd be able to like back 10 years ago. Yeah, I can't imagine being in a DIY band without the internet. <laughs> I mean, even just in terms of communicating how you're going to play shows. <laughs> you know, if you're from Topeka and you're going on a month-long tour in the 1980s and you're in a punk band, how did you set that up? <laughs> you, know, you can't just Facebook message some kid with the house. It's... Use your satellite phone? Yeah. <laughs> Posters? Just yeah, I don't even show up a day earlier and pass out a bunch of flyers. <laughs> Fax your poster over to all the <laughs> venues. Can you, can you please put this out? Uh, we're gonna be coming. Oh, you're coming? Uh, yeah, I thought we called your PR guy. You know? Oh, oh. You didn't get our fax? Come on. You didn't check your fax machine? It's like, oh, uh, we don't have a fax machine. Oh, oh. Yeah, I'd like the car fax. Um. <laughs> oh, that was awful. It's staying in. I know. <laughs> It was awesome that I found out that Cliff Burton's dad has been donating all of his Metallica royalties to different scholarships to help kids. Cliff Burton uh, obviously was a former member of Metallica who passed away. It's just awesome that his dad is doing that. See, I'm not like the hugest Metallica fan. Like I like them for what they are. I just don't know a lot about them. You don't ride the lightning? <laughs> I, I will say Master of Puppets is one of the best metal albums ever written. Was Cliff Burton on that? I believe he was. Yes. yes. That was one of their earlier ones. They're not my number one, no. but I have to respect them because they are like the number one influence of most of my favorite metal bands. Their newest album is actually really good. Hardwired to Self-Destruct. I kind of like that Cliff Burton's dad is the coolest member of Metallica now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the other mind-blowing thing for me with Metallica is they're playing such like physically demanding music and they've been playing it for so long. I'd say One is probably one of my favorite songs of all time just because of the technical guitar and that solo at the end. It's just, it's a masterpiece from beginning to end. There's a video, I think it's on Rob Scallon's YouTube, where he uh, plays that entire song on one guitar, but like it's three different people playing on the same guitar. It's a pretty good video. I enjoy it a lot. Who have I seen live, guys? <laughs> I think it's easier to say who you haven't seen live. It he is. hasn't seen the Melvins. Yeah, I had to. Uh, yeah, he hasn't seen the Melvins live. That's true. I had to, to pick up the slack for you on that one. Yeah. Can you kind of like describe the word to me? They are uh, they are rave rap. They're very niche. 
like, there's a very strange fan base. So it's weird. The first time I ever heard them, I didn't like them. Then I watched Chappie, and now I love them. I don't know what about that movie would have made you go, wow, I love these guys now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've only heard one song by there. It's uh, one they did with Evil Boy. I really like Enter the Ninja, and the music video for Ugly Boy has a lot of celebrities in it. It's got Flea, Marilyn Manson, Jack Black, Cara Delevingne, Dita Von Teese, other people. <laughs> so, Andy, do you have any, like, musicians or genres that have influenced you in a way you didn't expect? Or, like, groups that you kind of weren't really necessarily into, but later on you're like, oh, this is interesting? This sounds really silly, but a lot of power metal bands <laughs> I have kind of scoffed at for a long time. But something about just, like, that crazy, super high-energy, fantasy-oriented vibe has kind of creeped its way into my music a little bit. That's, that's not an amazing example, but kind of what I can think of. Basically, I'm just a really big nerd, <laughs> you know, so I kind of want my music to be sort of like fantasy. So you're saying you listen to a lot of Mastodon then? Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Andy! <laughs> but I'm thinking more like I was a 10-year-old listening to Dragon Force, and then I swore them off forever, and now I'm kind of coming back they're making them. They're making fun of me. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> no, because in the first, in our first recording, uh, he was asking me about bands that I liked, and I mentioned Mastodon, and he was like, oh yeah, Power Battle. <laughs> Power metal master. Like, Ma Mastodon? You mean like progressive sludge metal, maybe? <laughs> well, I thought you were coming at it because they're kind of mystical, you know. Oh, so yeah. Like, no, they do. No, they're making fun of me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well. No, that is a good point, though. Mastodon does kind of have a, there is kind of a fantastical vibe to a lot of their concept albums, particularly Blood Mountain. Yeah. And The Hunter. Yeah, I, I love Crack the Sky. That's probably my favorite of theirs. I know it's kind of, it's almost an odd man out in their catalog, but the riffs on that are so... I, I have to agree with you. I think Crack the Sky is their best album. Either that or Leviathan. Awesome. Just raw, like primal energy so on that. Have you heard their new one? A little bit. Like it, don't love it. I haven't had the chance to listen to the entirety of Emperor of Sand. There's a couple songs in there that I really dig. Yeah. Um, and then a couple that I'm kind of, eh, on. Yeah, it seems like they're in that stage of their career where they almost don't know what to do. I think I like it more than Once More Around the Sun. Yeah, for sure. Because um, there's literally only like two songs on that album that I actually like. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of in the stage where they're really trying to do new things. They're just not entirely sure what to do with it yet. Yeah. Give it some time. Those guys are really talented. They're really great songwriters. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Agreed. One thing that really has sort of attracted me to them, they have the perfect attitude about music. I feel like they did that great video series about uh, their latest album, just the making of, and they're really well-spoken, really passionate, and just very sincere. So I can't yeah. fault them for making an album that maybe didn't resonate a whole lot with me because I was very much convinced that that was the album they wanted to make. I think that's a good lesson to learn from a band that's been around that long. They're still totally authentic, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Most of the bands that I listen to, I don't really follow the people so much. Mm -hmm. Mastodon is one of the exceptions to that. They're an interesting group. One of the things that I kind of love about them is they're not afraid to kind of explore their goofier side. Right. They're not afraid to have a sense of humor. I think a lot of metal bands don't realize that most of the really great metal bands do have a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not always super serious all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and Mastodon, their music is very serious. You know, their lyrics, their songwriting, it's all very, very serious. And then they make these music videos <laughs> and they're just like, okay, cat now. Yeah. It's like, what's the least Mastodon thing we could possibly do? Okay, twerking, got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, take your art seriously, but don't take yourself seriously, I, I think is kind of their approach. And that I, is a good mantra. 
If you could work with any musician, who would you work with? That's really tough. Chris Crummett is a producer. Okay. I don't know if he's a musician, right. but I mean, that would work. he has almost influenced me more than any musician because he has produced so many of my favorite albums. He's produced a lot of really bad albums as well, but that's what makes the money <laughs> in a lot of cases. Like he is kind of tied in with Rise Records. They've got some bands I don't care for, but he has such an amazing ear for details. My fantasy is for him to just rip my music apart. <laughs> you know, so you know what I'm saying. I want somebody who I really freaking admire to just tell me exactly how and why I suck. <laughs> so I would love to work with Chris Grant for that reason. His drum tones are insane. Like he is making drums sound exactly how I want them to sound. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah, producer works too. I guess I didn't think about that, but producers are just as influential as musicians. It's kind of a normie thing, but one of my favorite producers, because he's produced so many of my favorite band's albums, Rick Rubin. What's he done? He's worked with System of a Down, Linkin Park, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, dang. Plenty of others. And a yeah. lot of rap groups too, like Beastie Boys. Mm -hmm. I think Run DMC. Probably. So he's just kind of got his hands in everything. Yeah, I mean, all those albums sound incredible. Do you want to talk about aliens? <laughs> aliens? Welcome back to Ancient Aliens. <laughs> Alright, so everyone I'm guessing has at least heard of Blink-182, and anyone who's heard Blink-182 knows that there's that one guy that we don't know how he ended up being a singer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he is. <laughs> What if Tom is listening and you just said I that. love you, Tom. You're my favorite part of Lake 182. The mark's okay, but... Okay, so Tom DeLonge, he left the band, and you're like, oh, okay. And then all the news outlets were like, Tom's hunting for aliens, and Tom's like, I'm not hunting for aliens. News outlets are, Tom is definitely hunting for aliens. So, Tom, I don't know how you did this. This is literally the, one of the most confusing things. Uh, how in your hunt for aliens... Did you crack down a child sex ring, my boy? <laughs> Please write in. Feel free to shoot us an email at tonedeafpod at gmail.com. That applies to anyone, except for you, Mom. It's <laughs> like the first time the paranormal investigation has actually done good for the world. <laughs> Killsiders International. Um, help me understand the link from where was he hunting from aliens? I just happened upon like this human trafficking ring. Like, what were the steps there? I don't know. No. But it's one of the most wonderful. I'm not sure I want to know. Is the thing? Was he like, a trafficker? Maybe he was living with a family and their last name was Gray. So you know, you automatically like, oh, they're aliens. Um, <laughs> That is the stupidest joke I've ever made, I swear. It's, I think it works great as like a noodle incident. Like it's so much funnier if we don't know how, if we don't know the link. Like it's so much funnier if it's just like, step one, sing for a pop punk band. Step two, go to hunt for aliens. Step three, question mark. Step four, break up child sex ring. I mean, he's obviously the greatest detective that's ever lived. Right? Why didn't they ever make a Blink-182 meet Scooby-Doo? Like, that would have been... That would have been perfect. It's not too late. I don't know, South Park had Scooby-Doo meets Corn. That was pretty great. That was a great episode, yeah. Well, actually, no, in that one, Scooby-Doo was Corn. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this reminds me. I own a DVD. It's uh, Scooby-Doo meets Kiss, and it's wonderful. Because you get a lot of other famous musicians and producers and stuff also voicing characters. I think Alice Cooper was in it. He's great life. Uh, I saw him with Motley Crue. There, it was good. I also grew up watching a uh, VHS tape. It was Kiss Meets the Phantom at the Park, which 
I don't know why they allow Kiss to make movies. Um, <laughs> but they always like do it in their respective characters. So like they're always doing that. But I don't know. Bands that make movies are just strange. So strange. It reminds me of a Eddie Murphy stand-up joke about how uh, Elvis couldn't act, so they just let him sing all of his lines. Like, we're gonna win this race. Lemonade, that cool, refreshing drink. I feel like that's the best way, though, to... <laughs> if, like, if you're just gonna find a singer and be like, we're gonna make him the main character in our movie, just have him sing all the lines. <laughs> yeah. It's the best way to do that, right? <laughs> Play yourself, it'll make tons of money. I mean, he was huge, so it's like Elvis Presley in a movie. Can you act? Well, here's a guitar. It's kind of a shame. From what I understand, Elvis wanted to do some more serious roles, but his agent was just like, no, do these terrible movies because they make money. And Elvis was like, oh, okay. I've never seen them. I've definitely seen Eddie Murphy's stand-up about them. Eddie Murphy's stand-up is glorious. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have grown up watching it. Okay, guys, this is this is a public service announcement for the entire world. Never watch Amy Schumer's leather special. There you go. That's my announcement. It's garbage. Someone's on the internet too much. I watched it. It's garbage. Yeah. I didn't even make it all the way through. I didn't really like that skit that she did with Jake Gyllenhaal, though. What? How do I not know about this? She had a skit where she catfishes Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, that sounds hilarious. It, it was pretty funny. Oh, boy. I mean, I'll watch anything with Jake Gyllenhaal in it, so Fair. I'm going to watch it. Bubble Boy is fantastic. I've never seen Donnie Darko, I need to. Especially considering how much I listen to Mad World. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to get on that. I need to watch The Crow. Okay, so I might get some hate on this, but I think The Crow is a little overrated. Okay. Like, I mean, it's a good movie. I just yeah. don't think it's aged that great, to be honest. Like, it was very much a product of its time. I and mean, there's some good music in it, don't get me wrong, yeah. but... Chester Bennington named his son after Eric Draven. Well, I mean, like I said, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or anything like that. It's just going back to it. Like, if you weren't there, watching it now is kind of like, yeah. okay. This I kinda is like the most sure. 90s edgelord thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> I've tried watching Queen of the Damned. It's got a lot of good music in it, but I just, I'm, I struggle because I don't really relate to the whole uh, wanting to watch undead vampires, unless it's Blade. I remember my cousins forced me to watch Lost Boys, and I was like, why do I need to see Kiefer Sutherland with bleach blonde hair? Well, I, I did kind of, I did, I, did, I kind of liked Lost Boys. That one, that one was fun. It's just a fun movie. By the way, no disrespect to Brandon Lee, the guy was a legend. Yes. <laughs> Don't shoot blanks at people, by the way. Another public service announcement. They killed the progeny of Bruce Lee, they will kill you too. Don't think you're special. Don't shoot blanks at people. So normally, like, you know, movies, fiction, whatever, it's all cool. That is, like, the one Hollywood gun myth that I utterly despise, and I will rail against it for all eternity, is the harmless blank. That is not true. At close range, they will kill you. Because they're still firing out burning gunpowder. It's not like there's nothing in them. And this was another rant by Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a new feature on our podcast. <laughs> Who is Tamber seen live today? What is Ryan not like today? <laughs> I haven't seen anyone live in a, in a while. How long is a while for you? When was, what was your last live show? Warp Tour? So that was like... The 27th was... of July? So like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so like two weeks ago. Man, I haven't seen someone live there. in a long time. Did you go to Warp Tour mostly just for dance, Gavin, to dance? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Knox Loose is just a yeah. stupidly heavy 
the hardcore band that I really enjoyed too. Yeah, I uh, went mostly for movements. They're great. I don't care what anyone says. I don't think anyone's ever talked crap on them because no one's ever heard of them. That <laughs> moment that when you, when you go to a show just to see the opening. <laughs> I've had lots That's of me. Of, right? Yeah. I mean, I pretty much did that when uh, Tamara and I went to uh, Rise Against. I was pretty much going for Thrice. I mean, I love Rise Against. Wasn't Let Live on that tour too? Do you remember? I might be thinking of a different package. I just yeah, Thrice and yeah. Deftones and Rise Against. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. That was a big package. The only thing I didn't like about that show was when the Deftones, like apparently they just usually just go straight through their set and they just play their music. And there was a point where the lead singer was like, oh wow, this is P. Diddy Water. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, Chino. I was like, uh, okay. So I kind of understand why you just go through the whole set now because the one time he tried to make a segue, he was like, wow, P. Diddy Water. Chino has a pretty good stage presence. But yeah, he's better when he just plays the songs. Cause he's got a lot of energy and- Well yeah, he's a fantastic a, singer. Oh yeah, he's a great screamer, great, great singer. He's got yeah, like it was a, that was a pretty fun show. They're a good band to see live, but banter's not really his thing. <laughs> well, the one thing I was kind of surprised with was how many squawks I heard during the, the Deftones like, set. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Just in case you at home needed to know what a squawk was, Tamper provided you with audio proof. That's what that's what Chino sounded most. It, it was actually awful sound quality at that concert. Oh, it was garbage. You would oh, think yeah. that at Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado, they would have good sound quality. They don't. Uh, yeah, it, it was a little underwhelming. Yeah, I saw them at the Uptown Theater, and the acoustics there were fine. Well, I mean, there's great acoustics there in general. Yeah, so they sounded pretty good when I saw them. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna see Deantward at Uptown. Yeah. Everyone's gonna be on meth and Molly. It's gonna be great. So, <laughs> has there, um, Andy, have there been any bands that you've seen live and have influenced you in how you want to perform a live show? A lot of my favorite bands do the very theatrical, like, interlude-y stuff. Uh, I can't even think of a specific one right now, but I love a, a show that is a show. And then just like all the hardcore bands I like, just going freaking nuts on stage. You know, <laughs> that's just so much fun. Acting the whole, this whole stage is a trampoline. <laughs> just constantly in the air. <laughs> so I love theatrics and jumping around. Do you know Iron Tom? Mm -mm. They uh, opened up for the Red Hot Chili Peppers on their latest tour. I had never heard of them or listened to their music, but that singer had the most movement and energy and just weird stage presence that I've ever seen live ever. He was like literally just jumping around and flailing the whole time he was singing. It was the strangest thing ever. I Wait, mean, are we talking Tom York and the Lotus Flower music video flailing? I don't know that specific music <laughs> video. He's literally just like jumping and bouncing all over the stage, just like like they have a their single on the radio, "Be Bold Like Elijah," and their music's good. The the stage presence's good. It's just he has way too much energy for the music. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I don't know. It's hilarious. Well, what kind of music do they perform? Like, what makes you say that it doesn't fit their music? It's alternative, but radio-friendly alternative. Why can't Why can't I flop and flail during an alternative song? Who are you, Anthony Kiedis? No. <laughs> I wish. Me too, he's a great buddy. Ripped since birth. <laughs> <laughs> Certain bands, their energy just, it, just it, it pumps you up. It was probably just like weird, and just watching the lead, the lead singer do like the burn or whatever it's called, like, you know, the dance move where you just like flail your arms around. Mm -hmm. That's what it made me think of. Movements, when I saw them, the band members don't really have much energy at all. Like they're just kind of just standing there. But their music is telling a story, so you don't really need the energy there. 
It's more about listening to the music than watching the show. Yeah, Alt-J was kind of like that. They're not like motionless like robots or anything, but they don't really move around a whole lot. You know, they kind of all stay in their spots and they just like get up there. There's like just visuals, you know, playing behind them. Really cool and trippy and most of their stuff is like slow grind kind of. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of stuff that you can dance to and it worked pretty well with their kind of their level of energy sort of, you know, just going up there and being better than everyone. <laughs> <laughs> It all depends on the person. I mean, I, you can be in a wild band and not move your feet once, or you yeah. can be in a pop band and be doing cartwheels. <laughs> so are we just going to keep BSing, or are we going to try to wrap this up? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, okay, sure. Like. No, I'm, I'm way behind as in I've never uh, seen okay. a single episode. Oh. Uh, spoilers. Well, I'm immune to spoilers. I get enough spoilers me. in the group chat I'm in, and there's barely yeah, any there. Yeah. I'm behind on the show. I've read the books, so. Oh. <laughs> they really streamlined things and yeah. made some choices. Which is good. I mean, the idea of it doesn't bother me at all. It seems like the right decision. I've only read up till uh, A Storm of Swords because my brother cautioned me against the last two because they meandered so much. Yeah. Um, Dance with Dragons is better than Feast for Crows. Feast of Crows is the worst one of those books. Mm -hmm. It really just... You could have cut out like half that book, man. That was, meandering is the perfect word. And Storm of Swords is just such a great book. Storm of Swords is incredible. And yeah. then just to immediately like go to Feast for Crows, it's kind of like, it had to pull back because Storm of Swords was so intense mm -hmm. that it had to slow down. Like it was not going to be able to maintain that pace right. and that intensity for another book. So I knew it had to go slow down a little bit, he didn't have to slow down that much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know originally he wanted a Song of Ice and Fire series to just be three, but then he kept pushing it back. And I know at one point he thought after A Storm of Swords, there was going to be a five-year gap that he didn't write. And then he just said, uh, I'll just write the gap. <laughs> so yeah. That might have contributed. Like, he maybe didn't plan as much. But uh, the show is yeah, kind of... Just based on what I know about the creation of the fourth and fifth books is I don't think they were very well planned because, you know, like you said, it was originally a gap that he wasn't even going to write. And then it was only going to be one book, and then he split it into two books. And I think once The Winds of Winter comes out, I'm kind of expecting that to be a return to form. Kind of going to get back on track and where he was actually planning to do. This, this headline, Liam Gallagher is mad at Dave Grohl for being too professional. Broke his leg and still toured. Who does that? Now if I have a cold, I can't cancel because I look like a wuss. Well, you're in Oasis, so you are a wuss. Yeah, um, one, you're in Oasis. <laughs> two, I like Oasis. Me too. Don't tell anyone in the Red Hot Chili Peppers chat, though. <laughs> okay, so, like, that's not new. Like, Bob Marley got shot and went on stage later that day. Like, no, you never had that excuse. Chester Bennington broke his arm on stage. Dave Grohl is not the first person to play a show after being seriously Kurt injured. Kurt Cobain played most of his concerts in excruciating stomach pain. That's also <laughs> where like, a lot of his writing came from, was from that pain. It's one of the, I think it's one of the reasons why he, he started um, doing more drugs because of the stomach pain. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just don't cancel tours. It's easy to not do that. The only thing I know about Oasis is that two brothers are in the same band and they're constantly fighting and they're like broken up. Yeah, it's like a champagne supernova, you know. <laughs> Oasis has some has some good composition. Like they have some good music. I just can't get behind Liam Gallagher's voice. Understandable. A lot of their music sounds really similar though. We could talk about bands that all their music sounds the same for hours. ACDC. <laughs> oh, I can't even tell if it's for whom the bell tolls or hell's bells, you know. <laughs> Metallica or ACDC? Oh, okay. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's a big difference between Metallica and ACDC. At the beginning, 
You mean the bell? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's using the same bell sample. What happened to creativity? <laughs> yeah, Andy, what did you eat for breakfast? Plain Cheerios and unsweetened, unflavored almond milk every single day. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Is mayonnaise too spicy for you? <laughs> nope. I love spicy food and I'm not a Nazi. <laughs> No, this I just, like, I hate breakfast, but I know yeah. I should eat. This is uh, the same thing every morning. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, I like to sleep in. So for me, it's like, do I wake up 10 wake minutes up early? on a Saturday Or night. do I eat breakfast before I have to go to work? You know what? I'm just going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just starve until my lunch break. <laughs> right? I mean, that's normal. Right? I'm fine with that. I ate, like, three Philly cheesesteak sandwiches yesterday at once. It was great. I hadn't eaten anything... All day. I haven't eaten anything since then, so I should probably eat. Dude, I actually I love mayonnaise. Probably more than most people do. I'll eat it plain. Ew. <laughs> you, just, you just grab a spoon and just start eating. I'm gonna have. No, lunch. I get the squirt mayonnaise. <laughs> oh my god. Is that is that not okay? I, uh, I like Sounds mayonnaise, but I would never eat it by itself. That sounds terrible. Oops. I mean, you just, you just drink it instead of water. You're like, this is okay. It's time for some I hate mayonnaise water, break. So yeah. I also drink Tabasco. How are you still alive? I drink Tabasco, that's why. <laughs> I'm not a real person. <laughs> Meme incarnate. I am, God. I listen to Bloodhound Gang unironically, okay? And you love the room unironically. You're right. I love Ice JJ Fish unironically. So, uh, Andy, is there anything that you want to like plug or uh, like a live show or something coming up that you want to mention? No shows on the immediate horizon, but uh, you can find my music on Bandcamp. I go by the moniker Anders, and my band's name is Not Like Igor. All that stuff is also on Spotify and Apple Music. A little harder to find because their search algorithms are crappy to smaller artists, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I have not been able to find your music on Spotify yet. Yeah, it's there are a lot of Anders. I regret taking that name, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, is there like a specific song or anything that someone can search with it? Or an album? Uh, my latest one is called Reset. I know their algorithms are totally based off previous plays, so that one might be the easiest to find. Search for Anders Reset. Also, everything's on YouTube. That might, frankly, be the easiest. <laughs> and everything's totally free. I don't believe in having that paywall. You know, obviously it's great to make money off music and people need to eat, but I want it to be a communal thing. Everyone should have the right to listen to music, you know? Well, since you are plugging it for free, is there uh, I mean, do you have like a donate on your Bandcamp? Or? Yeah, yeah. On Bandcamp, you can list your price and say zero, or you can throw me some bucks. Totally not necessary. I mean, I really appreciate it, but again, if if you're listening, I'm grateful. <laughs> you know, I will you donate don't... exactly one cent. Honestly, that helps. <laughs> like, I know. It, again, it's this weird algorithm game with all of these sites. Like, if you have more people pay money or download, it gives you preferential treatment. So, <laughs> honestly, a one cent, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> It's still money. Although they take like 20%. <laughs> Anthony Fantano on his um, like side YouTube channel that's not a meme channel actually kind of did this thing on like what music services pay the most per stream. And apparently Napster has their own streaming service and oh they boy. pay far and away more per listen than any other one. I didn't know they were still around. Right? I didn't either. Hey, good for them. I mean, I didn't know id software was still a thing for a while. I was like, oh, they, they still exist. Cool. Didn't they help make Fallout games? So Black Isle made the mm -hmm. original Fallout games. 
and then Bethesda made Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. And then Obsidian made New Vegas, which is probably my favorite. Same. I really, really hope Obsidian has a chance to get their hands on the Fallout 4 engine. Yeah. Because the fall because Fallout 4, for all the hate that it gets, and most of it is well deserved. Fallout 4 has an incredible engine. It has the best combat system that I think Bethe any Bethesda RPG has ever had. It's very dynamic. The vertical environments are so much fun, and I would love to see what a company that has real writers can do with that. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> Nailed it completely. And I think they said they want to do it. I just I don't know if it's just a matter of time. And hopefully they actually get enough time to complete it, and it doesn't get rushed out like New Vegas was. I'm glad I didn't buy it the first week that it came out, because yeah. uh, that was rough. I just remember entering any building and just oh, crossing man. my fingers. Gonna cross, you know. Yeah, man. New Vegas was rough at launch. Yeah. Hey, even, even now, it's still kind of wonky, but it's still probably my favorite Fallout game, though. Yeah, same here. Even in spite of that, and I think that really just goes to show you just how competent Obsidian is. I don't like how the food works in New Vegas. That's my only thing. And in Fallout 4, I hate how the rads affect your health. The companion system's pretty good for too. If only just had a real dialogue tree. Just sometimes the options are like totally yeah. different from what the voice actor yeah. said. So, yeah. I love Mass Effect. I think it's an incredible game. I don't want the Mass Effect dialogue system in my Fallout game. I love yeah. no voice. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can appreciate the voice acting, but I would just love specific lines, exactly what the character's yeah. going to say, and I'm, multiple options. In Fallout games, I kind of expect to be able to really make any character I want, and for that kind of game, I'd prefer not to have a voice actor, or yeah. at least have some options. Yeah. yeah. Even the Saints Row games have options yeah. for voice actors. Well, and in Fallout 4, it was pretty much you had two options. Yeah. Funny one-liner, yes or no. Like, but I mean, like, it works with a game like Mass Effect because you can kind of, like, put your own spin on the character, but Commander Shepard is a character that has a role in that universe. Right. And so it kind of makes sense to give that character a voice. Yeah. You kind of are robbed of the truer RPG experience when there are two voices and, like you are saying, like, pretty much two tones, you know. A lot of the voice actors are recycled for a lot of different characters in the Fallout universe. Yeah. Like, every old guy is the same voice. Like, in, yeah. Fallout, <laughs> in Fallout 3, it's Abraham Washington and Nathan and every other old dude have the same voice actor. That's kind of a Bethesda trope at this point. It's like, hey, we're making a game. We're going to hire four voice actors. Great, full game. <laughs> the one thing in Fallout 4, um, like, I agree with you on the combat system thing, that I really liked that they changed was I like how they made power armor something really unique and different yes. opposed to just... Power armor is so cool in Fallout 4. It's just so much cooler to me for it to be like a, a game mechanic besides just, oh look, you can wear this cool stuff. Tone deaf, where we spend 30 minutes talking about video games. <laughs> we'll probably keep a lot of podcasts at one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically, yeah, we could. Yeah, why not? There's an interview somewhere in here. So, again, as I say every time, if you or someone you know is in a band and is looking to get your name out there, don't hesitate to shoot us a message. We have a Gmail. It's tonedefpod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook or even Ryan. Or me. Or Zach. Or Zach. We would love to have you on. Thank you so much for being with us today, Andy. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, peace out. If we are going to create a band camp, I feel like it just needs to be some dubstep. <laughs> that's just, hold on. What is just dubstep that is just sampled from lines that we have cut out of our previous podcast. <laughs>